Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to break down Syracuse's 27-20 loss to Pittsburgh on Friday night. You know, the Orange looked pretty rough early trying to pass the ball against the Panthers. Tommy DeVito took six sacks. We saw Clayton Welch come in for the majority of the second half and actually helped the Orange get back into the game. Uh, They almost had a chance to tie it late. There was a Pretty controversial call, uh, overturned of a fumble. K.J. Ruff, Syracuse's defensive tackle, tried to take the ball away from Pitt running back A.J. Davis, initially called a fumble, overturned. We're kind of going to get into that, among other things here. Um, And then later in the show, Julian and I are going to evaluate Syracuse's chances of making a bowl, currently 3-4, and going into a road matchup with Florida State next weekend. Yeah, so before we dive into everything, I want to remind you all to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use to listen to your podcast. If you want to purchase advertising, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, just kind of macro here. What did you take away from that loss? Uh, Initial thought was, oh, okay, we're starting to slide in the wrong direction here. And the thought process since the beginning of the season was it seems to be either going to be really good or really poor. And the reason thinking, okay, they could be really good was they'll overcome their shortcomings, which is run defense, linebacker weaknesses, offensive line play. If they're above ex played above expectations, I thought the quarterback situation would take care of itself. I thought receivers would be on on time. I thought this offense was ready to take off and they would replicate some of the success that they had last season. That hasn't been the case at all. Uh, we've all seen at this point offensive line issues. Offensive line issues translate into quarterback problems. Quarterback problems translate into entire offenses falling apart. Then we have a defense who's struggling to stay in football games, and I have played on several of those defenses before, and it gets tiring. It gets tiring as a defense trying to hold up, trying to hold up, and once that big play hits, that's when you're like, all right, we need help, and we can't get any and that's when the friction starts to happen that's when people start to look at each other the wrong way start to point fingers and then that's when you've got a bunch of guys saying oh we're a family it's well what's the line uh it's a drake quote um nobody likes us for us except for us you know know, like that that kind of stuff and like that's your fault (laughs) you know (laughs) like yeah it's your fault (laughs) but um i think we were we're watching a team uh fall apart at the seams here and it's sad to see because there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, we've seen some shoddy tackling, things like that, which is highlighted more so as an issue because there's no offense. Like Because the team, the, the Syracuse isn't in the game, there's more things you can pick at uh, scattered across the team, whereas if you had won that game or the offense is playing better and you're more competitive, you're saying, okay, I see why that happened. It's okay. That's a... A fixable play. That's a fixable uh, mistake here or there on defense. But all of a sudden, these these problems are getting exasperated because you're struggling on all fronts. So I think we've seen an offense that's falling apart um, that I don't really see them scoring or moving the ball very much for the rest of the season. And I've seen a defense struggling to, to hold teams up. And then once the game gets out of hand, uh, this team struggles to get back into games. And um, it, it's disappointing to see, but I think we're, we've, we're start, starting to finally see this team slope um, in the wrong direction. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the defense is finally starting to, to, to show the toll it's taken on here, having to carry the offense for the last few weeks. Before we dive into the offense and Clayton Welch, I want to talk a little bit about that play with K.J. Ruff. 
Uh, it's first down late in the game. Syracuse is down 27-20. The defense needs to get a three and out at this point. Uh, A.J. Davis takes a draw, bounces it out, tries to come back, and K.J. basically grabs him with one arm. He tries to take the ball away from him, and the other arm, he, he's trying to bring him down. Initially, it's called a fumble. It's, it's a straight rip away. The ball is never loose on the ground. Fumble is ruled. The play is reviewed, and the refs overturn it. Now, I went back and rewatched the game on TV late last night so I could see what the refs kind of saw, and there's no angle shown on TV or that ESPN seemed to have that shows the ball. It's all from the backside. Uh, as the, the broadcast team says, you know, there's one angle that the knee is down and, and it makes it seem like, well, how could the ball possibly be out? Uh, well, <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I think it might have been. You know, there's an angle being passed around um, the press room last night that is not being made public. Uh, it's not ESPN's, there's not really much more I can say as to the roots of it, but it is from the other side, and it looks like K.J. Ruff probably gets the ball out before the knee is down. It's a tight crop, so you can't see the knee, um, and the question that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this is, when does the running back lose possession, right, because it's not a punch-out, it's a, it's a rip-away. So, uh, you know, at what point is possession fully passed? Is it when the running back doesn't have his hand on the ball at all anymore? You, you know, there's, there's some subjectivity to that. I do think if the officials had that angle, the call on the field would certainly have stood. And I think this, this is a lesson that, <laughs> you know, if you can't see where the ball is, how can something be definitive? So probably the wrong call there. I really don't like to criticize officiating too much. Nothing really kind of gets under my skin more than people who constantly do, but I, I really think Syracuse caught a bad break, and you know, for a team that has so much going wrong, it, it really hurt them. Um, and, you know, anything else you saw in that, Julian, or is that kind of your takeaway as well? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go the hardball side of this, um, <laughs> and I mean, it's just the player thought and coach's thought is you, even if the call goes against you and you end up losing possession, right, it's still third and two with a timeout left you still have potential to get the ball back. And yep. then my problem was watching guys, instead of going for the tackle and getting the guy down, you see two guys go for a strip on yeah. third and two with a timeout. Andrew Armstrong and Alton Robinson, I believe. Killed me, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why are... Listen, the teams I was... And mind you, I played with great leaders. Uh, we had Sharika Diabate, who would remind everyone in the most annoying manner what the down distance was. Don't go for the strip. Get the tag, like just reminding guys, this is what we're supposed to do. But linebacker, everybody was communicating these things. Yeah, that didn't, that clearly didn't happen here. Um, and then it, it frustrates me because you guys still could have been in the game. You, if you want to blame the refs, go ahead. I think that's more for fans and people like us to do media. Uh, but if you're on the field and you come out saying, "Oh, yeah, we got some tough breaks," no, you still had a chance on third and two sure. to make the play. So I'm seeing some things just across the board. Uh, we're sure Syracuse is getting tough breaks, but then they're not helping themselves when they have an yeah. opportunity to make up for it as well. So. I'm looking at this thing both ways, and I'm like, man, you guys, you're getting tough breaks, which is going to happen, especially as you start to slide. Teams and refs are going to start to slide more with teams that they gauge as better. It happens. It happens when they gauge you as um, uh, pass interferences. Uh, Which happened to Pitt. Pitt got four or five 
pass yeah. defensive pass interferences or holding calls down the stretch. So this wasn't yeah. all one sided. No, absolutely. Night. And they they see these things are right, you know, on tape and such and such. So they'll start to slide calls one way or the other. Um, and I, I'm just like, man, you got to know that, and then just continue to play. And I'm st- and that that worries me because if you're willing to, I'm not going to say quit, but mentally take a step back and do things that you wouldn't do if you were really cognizant of the situation that worries me because as this slope happens it seems like it's going to snowball effect into uh much bigger issues if it's not taken care of right away and i I don't expect it to because it's hard to get things to stick uh when you're losing so i I, i'm worried about this team but there, there are certainly um some aspects here that they can improve on that could give them better chances to win yeah, KJ himself kind of said he thought that overturn got to the defense, and he didn't think they put their best effort on that third and two. Uh, frankly, I thought, you know, looking back, Andrew Armstrong was in the right spot and had a chance to make the tackle. You know, your, your trained eye says, oh, he was, she's trying to force the fumble. I couldn't tell if he just couldn't wrap up or, or if that was the case. Whatever the case, you know, this is a guy whom whom – basically made the same play last week against NC State. And it was the quarterback on an RPO keeper, but he was in his fit. He made a huge stop, and it gave Syracuse a chance to win the game. He couldn't do that uh, last night. So, you know, that's how the game ended. It's certainly not why Syracuse lost, uh, but I think there are a lot of fans who whose frustration boiled over after getting what was legitimately a bad break. Um, let's kind of switch gears here, go over to the offense. We saw Clayton Welch turn in maybe Syracuse's most effective running performance of the year. If you take out the sack yardage, he rushed seven times for 62 yards. Had SU's first 20-plus yard rushing gain against Power 5 competition of the season, which is honestly unfathomable. If you told me that going into the year, <clears throat> I would probably have told you that Syracuse was going to have a losing record. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. You know, How did you kind of evaluate Clayton Julian and like what – what is what should the plan be going forward? I thought he offered the offense really the only thing that can work at this point is a quarterback who can escape a pocket and run the ball using his legs. And listen, I was one of the uh, many media people last year who was in favor of DeVito leading the offense once Dungey had that string of bad games. And I didn't realize how much he may or may not have been uh, covering and shading some of the issues across the offensive line. Um, and looking back at some of Coach Baber's other offenses back at Bowling Green State uh, and, and back in his was FCS days, East, Eastern, uh, Illinois. Eastern Illinois, uh, these offenses, you got quarterbacks sitting there just standing in the pocket, dropping the ball off, taking shots downfield. They weren't major runners. They may have had designs uh, QB keepers or, or QB options that here or there, yeah. but they were not quarterbacks that were taking off and rushing for 800, 900 yards a, a season. So it's it seems to be that Clayton Welch and what he offers with his legs is a valuable solution to the problems that are happening on offense because the offensive line can't maintain a block. Um, again, I, I've said this a thousand times. I'm not an offensive line guru, although there are a lot of similar parallels to a offensive line in the secondary. Your tackles are a lot like secondary players where they're corners where you're going backwards more often than not, right? You're sitting in your interior linemen are a lot like your safeties and, and so so on and so forth. And it's see, I'm watching guys who on the outside aren't maintaining 
individual blocks. You're, you're losing your one-on-ones. And when you're losing your one-on-ones, you start to lose your technique. Once you lose your technique, you lose your confidence. Um, I'm seeing guys who are losing their technique, overthinking, and then they can't pick up a blitz. And it, it's, there's so many compounding issues across the offensive line that I don't see it improving right away um, initially because you just have to, like, this is a situation where you, you just have to get new guys <laughs> like it, but the problem is on offensive line typically your best guys come out of camp like that's just how offensive mm-hmm. lines work you, you just know who your five are i remember because i lived with linemen um they always just about knew who their five was maybe one guy here or there was was the one like uh we'll see but this offensive line here i'm, I'm thinking about all four guys four guys at least uh maybe uh remove if they can find a way to replace I don't know how they do that, develop. Um, But I don't expect this line to be along uh, next season. It's just a problem right now where uh, you're trying to figure out what you can do across the front, and your quarterback can't do much, whether it's sitting and actually run the offense the way it's supposed to look. Again, reference back to Eastern Illinois, Bowling Green State, uh, because your offensive line isn't, isn't, isn't functioning well. So, I think Clayton Welch, I liked his performance. I thought he was slinging the ball pretty well for the most part. I thought the uh, 96-yard touchdown was really nice, 97, whatever it was. Um, but for now, man, I, I think he does offer a, uh, a valuable solution to the to the offense with his legs if he can keep it up. Yeah, a couple quick thoughts on that, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about potential line replacements. But if, if you watched Kenny Pickett when he got pressured, mm-hmm. he usually had room to move out left or right. Syracuse's defensive ends weren't creating the same outside pressure, and, and part of that's because Pitt had a running game. They, you know, they, they actually came in with one of the Power Five's least effective running, running games, and, and they were able to move the ball. A.J. Davis had a touchdown. They had uh, a few gashing runs up the middle, and that changes the way ends are going to play a lot of those situations. Now, look at Tommy DeVito. Where's his pressure coming from? Almost behind him. You know, the tackles have to set so deep to not get beat outside, and Ryan Alexander still gets beat outside. So, okay, DeVito has to move. The only way to go is forward. And then you're trying to sneak out between the tackle and the guard, and you're getting tackled. Or, or, you know, Aaron Service got beat a lot in the NC State game, and, you you know, you're stepping up into pressure coming to you. It's, It's very difficult for a quarterback to escape when you're dealing with that. Um... And then you have, you have Clayton Welch who comes in and runs some RPO stuff. So if you have a jet sweep RPO action, well, that defensive end's got to think, hey, is he giving the ball or can I just rear back and go? Right. So, it's, you know, these things play into each other. I think we also saw Clayton Welch's um, lack of pack, passing prowess. He skipped a couple out routes. Yeah. You know, he probably should have been intercepted on a crossing route to Nikeem Johnson that Paris Ford dropped. Uh, Pitt. Had a ton of defensive penalties, and part of that's a product of Clayton getting the ball out and, and Taj Harris and Tristan Jackson doing a nice job to to get away. A couple of them were straight, I'm going to grab you so you don't run past me situations. A couple of them probably more toward you know contact, and sometimes the refs call it, sometimes they don't. Uh, so, so I think I agree with you, and that was kind of my column that I published this morning, is I think Clayton's ability to run will change the way, at least a little bit, and make defenses think twice about rearing back and coming in. Now, can you put together a game plan that makes use of Clayton's strengths and Tommy DeVito's strengths? You, I don't want to say without throwing the offense out of sync, because it's not in sync, but finding a way to make it work where you can, you know who's coming in, who's coming out, you know what, what the play call is, and it, just, it, it can have some flow to it. We'll see. Um, switching gears to kind of the offensive line really quick, Dino Babers said 
Right now, everybody's job is in jeopardy. Hmm. Syracuse is the second team since 2004 to allow eight sacks in three straight Power 5 games. SMU is the only other team to do that in 2014. The Mustangs went 1-11. Syracuse is also uh, has allowed the most sacks of any team through seven games since 2004. Uh, a couple teams have a chance to chase after them this weekend. Uh, game's going on right now, actually. Both those stats from David Hale of ESPN.com. Um, but that should tell you like how bad it's been. I, and we're going to get into this. I know there's one question about you know, why has Tommy DeVito been so bad. I don't understand how people just don't see this at this point. Ryan Alexander is getting run past. Carlos Vettorello looks confused at left tackle. We've seen Aaron Service get beat. We saw Evan Adams get beat a few times last night. Dakota Davis, another first-year starter. Like The pressure is coming from everywhere. So what can Syracuse kind of try and do? Patrick Davis, to me, is replacement option number one. We saw him fill in at right tackle in the Holy Cross and Western Michigan games a little bit, looked pretty good. Obviously, the coaching staff has probably seen thousands of snaps of his in practice, so I've seen 20. This is what happens when you don't let media in to watch practice. <laughs> we, we have these small sample sizes, and, and frankly, I, I do think Dino Babers and Mike Lynch and Mike Cavanaugh are making the correct personnel decision most times. I just, you know, I haven't seen it. So one thing... I think is maybe worth trying is moving Patrick Davis to center. He's worked there the last few weeks. I you'd like to think he's capable of snapping the ball. I'm not in practice, so I can't tell you he is. But moving Aaron Service to tackle does shore up one side. He is your best tackle mm-hmm. of of all those guys. I think everyone on staff is going to agree with that. Maybe then you can focus on helping the other tackle, probably Veterello, and you have one less guy to worry about. But. Uh, Dino Babers is putting the pressure on. Um, you know, what was your uh, kind of take on that, Julian? And you know, when when a coach applies pressure publicly like that, uh, you know, how telling is it is it going to be as to how that group responds? Yeah, it, it's a gut check. You're essentially calling out your guys to let them know, hey, we need better. We're looking for better. And this is a note to my younger guys to take a step up. Make an effort to be better. Um, and to my older guys, like, you're not playing the way you're supposed yeah, to. He uh, called them out for sure on Monday. Absolutely. This is, and look, I've been on both sides of this actually. Um, when I was younger, freshman, sophomore year, Coach Schaefe would always, and he didn't do it publicly, but in meetings, my corners, we've got guys. <laughs> we've got guys that can replace you. We are trying to get them in. You need to play better. Like, that was a reminder to Keon and Richard and those guys. Hey, we've got guys. Come out. And though they responded. Uh, sometimes. But <laughs> in, in in the at least internally, I could see that they were responding by the way that they practiced. There was a little more focus here or there. And then on the opposite side of it, I was there when I was a starter. I think mine was a little bit more public. It was, hey, uh, you know, Julian's not an All-American. Uh, he's not somebody that we've, you know, just uh, love him all the time. Like, he hasn't, you know, put everything out on the field that we necessarily need. We've got guys that, that we're going to try out and see what they can do. And to me, that was, all right, forget you, coach. All right, cool. I see it. Let me go and do my thing. So you, the public call-out, um, I support it because – I don't know what else he can do to motivate his guys to let him know, like, we need to find help, and I am going to use every resource possible to let you know and remind you, this is what we need to do. We, we are looking to find a way to improve. Like, the, the mediocrity isn't going isn't gonna to work here. And I support that from Coach Babers. And as, as a player, you're, you're simply sitting there wherever you are, uh, your, your apartment and crying in the bathroom i don't know um you're thinking to yourself 
where am I going wrong? And if guys aren't in the film room, if guys aren't um, getting extra reps in, um, I, I, I truly believe at this point of the season, it, it's kind of a lost cause because you kind of know who you are, what you can do. Guys don't typically improve um, in week eight, nine, and ten. It usually happens more. So if this was a week two, three problem, you're saying, okay, film, little extra study, he'll get better. This point of the season, I, I'm thinking, all right, you, you just about lost your job, kid. But um, as far as this offensive line and Coach Baber is kind of going public about this, I think that just shows a level of frustration from the staff as well to say, all right, so you guys know out here as well because it's all about the family and all, all of this. But to let them know outwardly, it's like we're frustrated with you. We're, <laughs> we're trying to figure it out, and we don't know. So I, I think that's the big question is how do we fix this? And at this point, uh, there, there's no one you know walking around Syracuse that knows. And um, that, that, that's a problem because going down this last stretch, it's, it's going to be very difficult to find wins without an offensive line that can uh, protect your quarterback enough to, to put up points. Yeah, when your head coach is calling out your veterans after the midseason bye week, yeah. that's not good. And uh, and that's where Syracuse is, and I don't think anything that happened in the pit game changes that outlook. All right, let's kind of take a look ahead here. Um, rather than We, we kind of wanted to talk about Syracuse's bowl outlook in a way that was a little bit different. So rather than the hows, I, I just want to try and put a number on it. Uh, so we're each going to go through this and, and give our reasoning. But, Julian, w- what is the percent chance that Syracuse makes a bowl this season? Zero percent chance. <laughs> oh, man, I had to say it fast. People didn't hear me. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I I don't think they, they're making the bowl game this year. Um, I'm looking at the schedule. I don't see them winning on the road in any capacity because they don't have the things necessary to win on the road, which is a quarterback, a reliable offense, um, more so a quarterback. I think those are uh, necessary for teams that are capable on the road obviously with talent and all that but I think that's the biggest key for you um, on the road and then when it comes to the home games left we've got Boston College and Wake Forest uh, Boston College is uh, what 31-3 last we checked against NC State at the time of this recording so um, I, I and that was NC State who Syracuse barely could score against 38-10 now um, with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, a team in Syracuse scored 10 points again. <laughs> so I, I'm struggling to see them winning against Boston College. And then I think the last game is Wake Forest, who is, uh, I think, currently 5-1. Five five and and one. One. So these are good football teams. And what is Syracuse right now? Uh, below average? Poor? Mediocre? Um, and I don't so, say these things just to, to you know, throw darts. Yeah, it's, they it's they just, haven't beaten a Power 5 team yet. It's just the reality of the situation right now. And I, I don't think Syracuse is fielding a, a talented football team or a capable football team uh, just because of their struggles up front. And I, it, it, the, the saying is true. Like, if you don't have anything up front, you don't have a team. Like, you have to be able to win in the trenches first. And I think that's going to be a huge recruiting uh, point for Syracuse going forward. I remember my first time coming up uh, to Syracuse after I left, I think it was 2016, uh, I'm looking at guys and talking to Coach E like, man, these guys are massive. Our guys didn't look like that. And the thought process internally back through, uh, really after Marone left, 2013 up until I left 2015, and when uh, 
Coach Babers took over, the thought was, man, these, these are off, what's up with the offensive line? We can't compete in the ACC until we get an offensive line because we're looking at teams I can remember vividly, Virginia. I'm like, who's Virginia? That's supposed to be good. But I'm looking at their offensive line like, yo, they're going to win the game because they're so much bigger. And when we looked at teams like USC, Notre Dame, uh, the powerhouses out there, if you ever look at their offensive line, they're the fattest kids ever. And it's like, why aren't our kids fat? But point being, you got to be able to have a, a front five who can protect your quarterback and establish a run game. If you're constantly, especially if your offense is predicated on a spread, having to always bring in a tight end, go against some of your natural tendencies as an offense, requiring backs to be more uh, blocking related than actually going out for routes and such, staying in that much longer. These are problems that start to suffocate your offense and I think that's gonna got to be a major recruiting point for Syracuse going forward. Is finding talent up front uh, to the alumni and people I still talk to um, that watch the team. That's that's the biggest key is one. And what happened to recruiting? Where's where's the talent there? We've got guys on the outside. Uh, we've got the four star quarterback. We've got two defensive ends that are probably gonna go to the NFL. Uh, what? Why aren't we winning? And it's 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 clearly a lack there um, in recruiting on the offensive line. So I think that's got to be a major emphasis for Syracuse going forward if they're ever going to be a team that wins and wins consistently. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic. <laughs> I'm going to give Syracuse a 25% chance of getting to six wins. I actually thought about this one. For some reason, I predicted them to go 6-6 six and six mm-hmm. last week in like Syracuse.com's midseason evaluations and then picked them to lose to Pittsburgh, and I'm going to pick them to lose to Florida State. Right. So it's like I picked them to go 3-5 and five and then 6-6, six and six, which was just very short-sighted. Um, so I, I do think it's unlikely. I don't think it's impossible. Uh, I still don't think they're going to beat Florida State. Uh, to me, I think it's that BC game. If you can win that game at home, you get to 4-5. and five. Maybe you get some guys back. I think McKinley Williams is close to getting back. He was out of his walking boot. He's looking more and more like he's going to redshirt and be back next year, which is a little boost for that defensive line that's going to lose three really good players. Trill Williams uh, looks like his injury is not as serious as we thought live. Yeah, that was really scary. I thought for sure it was Achilles. Yeah, Um, and you could tell the trainer reached right for it. But he, was actually, he actually tried to warm up and play in the second half, according to Darius Joshua, my brief colleague at News Channel 9. My TV stint did not last very long. But <laughs> nice eye there from Darius, much appreciated. So maybe you get those guys back. Andre Sisko and Ofatu Malafonwu both returned last week. Uh, I don't think Sam Heckle is coming back anytime soon. But you have that second bye week after BC. Maybe you can figure out how to use Welch and, and DeVito together. You're going to have to win a game on the road at Duke or Louisville, and then you got Wake Forest at home. I think if Syracuse is not 5-6 five and se- five and six going into that game, they're not going to win it. But Wake Forest closes, I believe, with five straight games, including a game against Clemson. They're probably going to be beat up. Um, so if Syracuse has something to play for, <clears throat> you know, to me, that's how you string it together. It's BC, Duke, or Louisville on the road, and then Wake Forest. So I'll, I'll give it, tw- what did I say, 20 or 25%. So I, I still think there's a shot, but pretty unlikely. So that's that's where the season kind of is right now. Um, let's transition over to some Twitter questions. Wow, 12. I'm sure these are going to be nice. Mm. Uh, Doc Vernal, is there a belief that Coach Martin has impeded the progress of DeVito? I don't think... 
think so. I mean, one of the hardest parts of covering this program is you don't get to talk to any of the assistants or the coordinators. So, you know, when I cover a team, I really like to have everyone's perspective and be able to be as fair to everyone as possible and, and understanding. But like, I have not talked to Kirk Martin. I, you know, Tommy DeVito has said nice things about Kirk Martin, of course, because he's his player. Um, I know Kirk spent most of last season learning the offense. Uh, he does not have a background as a quarterback, and, and I think that's something that stunted SU's quarterback since Sean Lewis left. They don't have a guy who's played quarterback at a high level. So, you know, I just think I, with anything, teaching someone anything, to not have actual experience is difficult. Um, Tim Cavanaugh, what is Baber's offensive plan for the rest of the year? Is O-line the top recruiting target for this offseason? We've kind of already touched on that. Um, and, yet, yeah, I mean, Julian hit the nail on the head, absolutely. They need to recruit offensive linemen. And to me, I think it's going out and get more JUCO guys, grad transfers. Like, you need to develop your players because there aren't a ton of guys waiting in the wings that – I feel like internally are are very much hyped. You know, Kadir White hasn't really shown development. We'll see. He's almost, you know, uh, going to be finishing two years uh, on campus, I guess, next summer. So he's he's in his second season. Um, Anthony Red, I know they do like. Uh, Carlos Vettorello was supposed to be learning behind the scenes this year. Dakota Davis, they kind of like. But I I think they're going to need to go out and and bring in some experienced guys again, and and ideally guys who are a little bit more ready than Ryan Alexander. Uh, Sean, FCS scout, I know he was banged up, but Tommy's been lifeless out there all season. Why not turn it over to Welch full-time? What do you think on that one, Julian? Uh, Because if you've got a guy at half capacity who is better at half capacity than everyone else on the roster at 100%, you keep him in the game. Um, And I think that's the belief with Tommy DeVito versus Clayton Welch or anyone else. Um, It's it's just the fact that they think that DeVito is head and shoulders talent-wise above uh, whoever else is out there, even injured, and they keep him in the game because they think he gives him uh, the team the best chance of winning the game. Uh, I think at this point, though, you're starting to wonder uh, what can Welch offer and what are we getting from DeVito and how much can we get from him. So you're starting to weigh those two options, and I believe, um, I think Stephen agrees with me here, that Welch probably start to get more time just because of the injuries to DeVito and how much they're trying to save his body um, to be able to continue playing. So I'm sure we'll start to see a balance, if not a strategy, to start using Welch's legs uh, more so in the game plan, just to finding ways to keep the defense honest, uh, whether that's keeping defensive ends coming off the field or uh, linebackers in the middle of the field so that they're not rushing extra gaps. So I, I do believe at some point here we'll start to see a, a balance of uh, Welch versus um, Tommy DeVito. Yeah, I also think the tape is now out on Clayton Welch. Yep. Teams are going to keep an eye on him, which does open up other things mm-hmm. if you have an accurate quarterback to take advantage of that space, right? right? So teams have been basically daring Syracuse to run all year. Uh, you know, Pitt brought the pressure, but again, not accounting for the quarterback. So you're going to play Clayton Welch differently. It's not always going to be that easy. But if again, and, and Julian basically just said this, if you can find a way to balance the two, maybe you can create an opening one way or the other and, and, and force those defensive players to keep thinking. So that's kind of where they're at. I, I don't think Clayton Welch full-time is something that they're even going to remotely consider unless it is strictly in an effort to preserve Tommy DeVito. Uh, Christian Leagrand, does Dino shake up the coaching staff prior to the end of the season? How is team morale? Um, maybe. I mean, 
I mean, the offensive line is the big question mark, right? So, uh, again, this is one of those things where it's like if I got to know Mike Kavanaugh and some of his philosophies, I, I would be able to answer this with a little bit more insight. I know the players really like Kavanaugh, but obviously the players aren't playing well. So, I don't know. Uh, one other small point I can make here is, is Mike Lynch th- is the offensive coordinator and has coached the offensive line in this system. So, it's not like this is all on Kavanaugh. He's the only guy who knows how to coach a line. And Mike Lynch coached the line his first year here, I believe, when, when Mike Hart was coaching the running backs. Then Hart leaves, they bring in Cav, and um, Lynch switches over to the backs. So, Maybe. <laughs> I mean, something has got to give here, and I don't know that there's a better option on roster. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how is team morale. I mean, you can see the body language. A lot of guys are down. A um, couple guys came out for interviews, kind of watery-eyed. I uh, will say K.J. Ruff said he doesn't think the team, especially I think he's the closest with the defense, obviously, has quit. You know, I think there is still a fight there. Um, to me, the question is going to be, you know, after this Florida State game, unless they can pull off an upset, you know, can they recapture that drive for the Boston College game? Because if you don't do it there going into that second bye week, I just don't see it happening. Uh, Sophista Ratchet, watch the replay, and anyone who thinks Welch is better than DeVito needs to eat a Snickers. <laughs> they're, they're not themselves when they're hungry. <laughs> uh, I like that. I really like that guy. Uh, um any offensive line waiting that may need to step up sooner rather than later, Red, Kadir White. You know, to, to me, Pat Davis is probably the next guy on. Uh, Matthew Bergeron's a freshman tackle who's been on the field goal PAT unit. They've used him as the sixth lineman in jumbo and wildcat formations. I think he's someone who they'll consider. Darius Tisdale, Juco edition, maybe someone you look at at guard. He got some run with the ones during camp. Um they like Anthony Red. I, I don't think he's ready yet. He's a true freshman early enrollee who spent the spring working with the first team, but I think that was really in an effort to kind of give him some trial by fire um, and you know throw him in and see, and see if he can learn from it. And I'm sure he has, but you know if he's behind Vetterello and Alexander and Bergeron and Davis, you know there's a reason for it. So I, I to me, Patrick Davis is the next guy in line and. I think putting him in at center and moving service to tackle makes the most sense. But, again, I only watch the team play 13 times a year, the spring game in the season. So it, it's it's hard to get a full evaluation. Um, all orange, clearly DeVito is the more talented and accurate passer, but Welch showed better pocket presence and an ability to run. Uh, definitely agree with the latter. Something that is probably more necessary considering our line play. Agreed. I'm not advocating for Welch to start but can see why he may get significant snaps right on the money. I mean, we've we basically talked about all of that. That was actually a response to Sophista Ratchet. Sorry about that. Uh, Turnpike Mike, over under 1.5 more wins for the team this season. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the under. Uh, listen, you know, I, I have no desire to um, go after this team. They clearly have struggles that I think are beyond uh, coaching at this point. I, I, I really believe it, it, it's just a matter of they don't have the guys who can execute a game plan up front right now. And um, I don't blame, you know, coaches for this. I, I, I just put it on the guys. Like, it's it's a thing where we didn't get the right guys in here. We don't have the recruits for it. They're, they're struggling up front. And I, I genuinely don't see this as something you can improve uh, midseason. So it, it, and it's really hard after watching them on the road all season long, watching them at home, all season long and watching how they struggle the same way for 
what is it now, eight, almost nine weeks, um, it's hard for me to, to, to really say, yeah, they got two more games uh, where they're really beating somebody. Because it, it used to be earlier this year, who's going to beat them? Who's going to beat them, Stephen? And then now it's... Who are they going to beat? Who are they going to beat? It's who are they going to beat? Who can they block? And I don't see that being anybody right now. So uh, it's hard for me to really give them much more than the game uh, that's given to them by their opponent. Yeah. One quick thing. I just This popped into my mind. If anyone wants to go back and watch the fourth and two play late in the game where Welch hands off to tight end Aaron Hackett, he almost got tackled in the backfield by Carlos Vettarello. I have no idea what happened on the play. And Hackett did a great job to, to bump off his tackle and actually break an, an actual defender's tackle to get the first down. But, like, it's like the picture of the season. Like, they can't get out of their own way. Um, I'm also going to take the under. Uh, I just... It just seems more likely at this point, but I'm not totally sold on this. Them not being able to salvage six wins somehow, like we already said. Um, Dino's burner. <laughs> Do you expect legitimate changes for the rest of the season, or is Dino just telling us what we want to hear? Interesting. Uh, Coach, interesting. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, this, is some, this is some meta stuff right here. Yeah, this, this is difficult, Coach. I don't really know what you... What you want me to say here? Uh, I don't. I hope you uh, figure something out. I support you. I think I listen, man. I I, I hope you figure it out because you know that's the squad. But um, I do. I think you're saying what we want to hear. Um, I think you are a gamesman, man. I, I think you know exactly what to say to the media. Um, I think you are honest though. At the same time, you're calling guys out. I think you're. Uh, doing what you can with what you have, and I, I'm supporting <laughs> you in this instant, Coach. I, I, I truly believe that you don't have the guys up front to truly make the impact on the game and execute a game plan that you want to. Um, I think you're doing as good a job as you can with your secondary, with with your offensive line, um, and with your offense. But um, I will say, Coach, I think Cruton could be a little better up front, um, but. I think you know your problems right now, and uh, at this point, I, I think it's pretty clear um, what all these issues are for Syracuse right now. Yeah, and I, and I I would lean toward a change coming, but we really won't know until Sunday. I believe the guys are off today on Saturday. Uh, they do film on Sunday, yeah. off again on Monday, and then Tuesday they'll practice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we get Dino Babers on Monday, he might say he doesn't even know yet, or he hasn't decided yet, or he just doesn't want to tell us, yeah. which he has every right to say. <clears throat> so, we'll see. I would say there's probably going to be a change coming because, I mean, if you make a change and it doesn't work, you're at the same place you were. Maybe you can spark something. Yeah. If not, you're where you were. Um, Jay Kreska. Sorry for the uh, pronunciation. I know there's no easy fix, but is there a way to use quick slants to get the ball out quickly and probably open up some things? Might help the line gain some confidence, too. You know, they've tried to do that the last few weeks with some lack of success. Part of that's probably on DeVito getting the ball out a little quicker. You think back to that slant in the NC State game early on. Uh, DeVito kind of took the sack instead of getting the ball and taking the hit. You know, they've tried to manufacture some things, but the, the line is making it tough, and you need your receivers to, to be there, right? If you run, if you go empty and run a quick slant and your first read is covered, what do you think is going to happen? So go back to the Maryland and Clemson games, right? That happened all the time. So the coaching staff, and it's not a bad question. I totally understand where you're coming from, but 
they've tried they've tried everything they think might reasonably work and, and that's certainly one of those things so it's about finding the right combinations of what they do against the right coverages and you know when when the overlap is so small uh, on your on your chart it's like you, you're almost throwing darts out there and that's kind of what it feels like uh, a couple more all orange why have the football gods forsaken us who can we, we sacrifice to appease them we have to sacrifice Stephen Bailey oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be merciful give him up and the offense I don't know <laughs> oh man yeah it, it, that's that's a tough situation man uh, and I I was just funny because I was asking Stephen the same thing like a couple years ago when I was up here. Uh, regularly, um, I'm looking at the team, kind of projecting uh, the future and, and how things progress. And I'm thinking, oh man, we got Devito coming. And in the, in the, at the time, the no was Devito is supposed to be the better quarterback throwing the football than Dungey was. So I'm thinking, oh man, we got Devito. We have some receivers. Defense should be great. Uh, dang, it, it, it's looking like it, we're good. And then of course, Steven's like, but Julian, you have to understand. It happens every year. Something happens where things don't go well, and all of a sudden we're worried about what kind of expectations we had in the preseason. And, of course, this is what happens in 2019. Something goes wrong, the offensive line falls apart, and you're you're sitting there trying to collect all the pieces. So uh, because Steven was the one who suggested these things and they came true, the fact that he knows the future and what to expect from Syracuse football, I, I truly believe, he is the true sacrifice for Syracuse football. I did successful. I did pick Pitt winning 27-20. <laughs> See? I'm pulling away in the standings. I mean, the, the good years have been more, I don't want to say this is going to sound bad, more anomalies than anything else, right? The yep. year when you have two quarterbacks yep. last year to prepare for that. Yep. The year when you don't have any offensive line injuries. Yep. You know, or you go back to, to Nassib's big year. You know, it was the only year where they haven't had to play two quarterbacks since then. It's been yep. like 10 years. So, hey. It, it's tough to win in Syracuse. Um, please don't kill me. <laughs> uh, last one. Right. Matt Orange. How much of offensive line woes is coaching and how much of it is lack of talent? You know, we talked about it. I think it's mostly lack of talent. It, yep. it's, it's hard to evaluate coaching for me from this distance, but there's something to be said for, you know, generally speaking, making change and the change itself kind of altering the dynamic. I'm not saying that anyone should be fired. I'm just saying even within a lineup, something's got to shake. Something's got to give, and that that may be where Syracuse is. Um, All right, guys, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Once again, please subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you want to purchase advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069, and hopefully I will live to preview the Florida State game with Julian.